All right, now we begin a whole new Masechta Be'ez Hashem. This is Maseches Nedarim. Nedarim are vows. I'll explain more, of course, now in the introduction what we mean by that, vows. Um, it finds its way here into Seder Nashim, even though there's not really anything to do with women or marriage per se here, uh, because the Torah, when it talks about the Hafaras Nedarim, the um, annulment of certain vows that a father or a husband can do, it's said in the context of marriage and a, a, a girl being married or getting married. That being the case, it, it says the Rambam, it comes after Ksubas, after talking about the obligations of husband to wife, you see there's also a right the husband has to annul his wife's vows. In any case, really, that said, um, there's nothing really much more connecting Nadarm to Nashim here. In any case, so our topic comes therefore Nidarm, and the basic driving pasuk of this is a mitz is a pasuk which has both the mitzvahs ase and alosase, so two of the six thirteen, um, regarding the obligation to fulfill what one says. And the the pasuk says in Bamidbar Perik Lamed pasuk Gimel, Ish ki neder, if a man makes a neder, he makes a vow, Lashem to Hashem, oh he shava shavua. Or he swears an oath, he takes a shavua, le'esor isor al nafsho, to make something forbidden to him, lo yachel devaro, he may not profane his words by not carrying out what he said he would do, kechol hayotz mepiv yaseh, according to whatever he articulated, what came out of his mouth, he shall do. That's the Pasuk. And that Pasuk contains that in both the mitzvahs ase of do whatever you say, and also the love, the prohibition of lo yechel dvaro, excuse me, lo yachel dvaro, uh, not to profane what you, and not and make untrue what you said you would do. And that introduces us to the topic of nedarim. Now in the Pasuk, we actually have two separate things happening. We have nedarim and shavuos. And the truth is, these are, these are really different things. There are two separate Masechtas. There's the Maseches Nedarim, which is our Masechta, and Maseches Shavuos, which is elsewhere. And um, we'll leave Shavuos for another another day. But let's just make sure we're clear on what a nether is in the context of a Shavuos, I meaning what a nether is and isn't relative to a Shavuos. So let's contrast those two. So a Shavuos is when one affirms what he said, employing the name of Hashem, saying, and he says that some either he did or didn't do something, or he will or won't do something. And he says, I will or won't, or did or didn't do something, as much as I believe in Hashem. So he adds weight and heft to his commitment about the facts, about what did happen or what will happen. What will happen? Um, that's what's called the shvua. I translate that as, a, as an oath. Okay? The essential point here is that that oath is about... Um, the person, what he will or won't do or did or didn't do. Um, in contrast, a neder is not going on a person, but rather going on an object. Okay? So that's the essential difference, which means that I can take a shvua that I um, won't sleep tonight. Sleep is, is, is not a thing, not a, like an object called sleep, but I can make it forbidden to me um, by force of a shvua. When it comes to a nether, I need to have an object. To, I could say my bed is forbidden to me. Um, but sleep itself, since there's not an object there, couldn't be ever restricted by force of a nether. Now the nether um, goes on the object, and it's generically not about um, the truth of a matter, but rather an, a prohibition. 
So while a shvua has got to do with the, the truth of something, about it, whether it did or didn't, will or won't happen, the neder is about something being forbidden. Now, it can be that I take a shvua, excuse me, I take a neder, that my bed is forbidden to me, but I can also say that my bed is forbidden to you through a neder. In contrast, when it comes to shvua, I could say that I won't go to sleep tonight, but I certainly cannot take a shvua that you won't go to sleep tonight because I have no right to demand or bind, I should say, or bind you to something. Um, but my, since it's my bed, I could definitely restrict it for, from you by force of a nether. So again, shvua goes on the person, nether goes on the object. We're not talking about shvuas in this mesechta, and we're talking about nedarim. So nedarim really come in two basic varieties, and in fact, according to many of them, there's really just essentially one basic variety. Um, but in either case, those if there are two, there's nidre iser, a neder, a vow which effects some prohibition, and there's nidre hektesh, a vow that consecrates something. So nidre hektesh um, really also come in two flavors. You can have what's like called kachim mizbeach. So I can, you know, things that are offered on the mizbeach, on the altar. Like, for example, before I want to bring Bessie the cow as a korban ola or a shlamim, I have to consecrate Bessie to be an ola or shlamim. And that saying, hooray, zoo, this cow is a shlamim, um, is what invests it with the Kedusha, and it, that's a necessary prerequisite before I bring Bess, Bessie as an offering. Okay, and that could apply to other things as well, like um, meal, like flour, or oil, etc. The other kind of nidri hektesh are if I say something which has no business on the mizbeach, like for example, my pen. If I say I'm investing my pen with as hektish, so that's that that consecration doesn't send it to the altar because no it pens don't belong on the altar. But it's what's called um betaka bias. It's for the upkeep of the base of Mikdash, which means that the now the actual um the the value of the pen is consecrated and the pen then is handed over to the base of Mikdash and they can then make use of it as they so wish. So if the base Mikdash needs a pen for their guest book, they could use it as a hectish pen in the guest book. Um, that's their prerogative. Um, alternatively, if they have no use for the pen, they would put it on their you know eBay site. They would sell the pen, get the money, and then take the money to pay for the upkeep of the base of Mikdash, you know, to pay the janitor. So that's called bedeka bias upkeep. Now, when I invest, whether my cow or my pen, with that kadusha, um, while it's invested with the kadusha it becomes forbidden for any person to get not to get any benefit from that, that object, that cow or that pen. Okay, now, the topic of, of Nidre Hekdesh really appears elsewhere in, in Shas, like in Masechus Erechen and so on, um, but Nidre Iser is saying that something else is not for Korban, but it's something that is just forbidden to me. Like I could say, my pen or my bed is forbidden to me, um, and that would be a neder. Now, <clears throat> many Rishonim learn that the ability to make something forbidden to me, like a pen or a bed or anything else, um, almost as if it were like a section fourteenth commandment, because um, it's, it's binding. If I now would sleep in that bed or make use of that pen after taking such a neder, so I would be over the love and the ase. It has to bring a carbon. Excuse me. Excuse me. Wrong. I would have to get um, a, if the person does it intentionally, he gets malchus, he gets lashes. Um, 
So there are many Rishonim like Tosos and the Rosh who learn that actually it's all about Nidre Hekdesh, that the essential thing that the Torah innovated here is a person can consecrate something, which would then make it be forbidden to get benefit from that thing. And then there's a notion of Hatfasa that a person can extend his, um, he can like connect to that idea. So when I say, my pen is forbidden to me. What I'm really saying, according to many Rishonim, is my pen is forbidden to me as if it were a korban, as if it were invested with the Kedush of a, of a korban or of, you know, yeah, and that's why it becomes forbidden to me as Hana, now, I, for, from any Hana, from any benefit from it. The truth is, everyone agrees I could do a less all-encompassing prohibition. I could say my pen is forbidden to me on Tuesdays, um, or I could say my pen is forbidden to me to write letters to my buddy Joe, um, and then that would be a more limited uh, prohibition, proscription that would be affected by the nether. Um, but at all events, either there's a separate notion to itself, I can make a nether nidra isra and say the pen is forbidden to me in some way, or I could just, you know, um, latch on to the notion, the, the Torah's notion about nidra hektish and say this is like, this is forbidden to me in some, in some or always, like other Nidarm. Okay? Now, the notion here of Atfasa, of like connecting something else, the essential point here is that um, I could say that the first I could say my, my bed is forbidden to me on Tuesdays, and then I could say my pen is forbidden to me like my bed. So by saying like my bed, I can by extension say since the restriction of the bed was on Tuesdays, now the restriction on the pen is Tuesdays as well. And again, some version I'm learning when I say my pen is forbidden to me, what I'm saying really is like my bed is my pen is forbidden to me like a korban. Okay? Now, the essential point here is that this notion of fuss of, of attaching something else only works if you're talking about um a davar hanoder, things that are prohibited by virtue of taking a nether. Like for example a korban. What makes an what makes Bessie forbidden is that I made her into a consecrated as uh Shlamim Mor Ola, etc. Um, if I would say my pen is forbidden to me like an, a korban, that would be binding. If I said my pen is forbidden to me like a nevela carcass or forbidden to me like a piece of bacon or something, that would not be binding. Okay? Um, even if we're talking about something like, say, food to food, my apple is forbidden to me as if it were blood, um, as blood is forbidden to me. That doesn't that doesn't do anything, okay? The, for it to, for me to connect an iser and say it's usher like something else, it has to be the kind of something else which became usher by virtue of the fact that that thing was also verbally prohibited, like that the, the prohibition came through a verbal statement. Not because the Torah said it's forbidden, but because I said it's like a korban, or it is a korban, which makes it to be forbidden by virtue of me saying that. Now, at all events, the notion of nidre iser specifically, makes something forbidden to you, requires what's called a bituis fasaim, an articulation of the lips. You actually have to say something. You can't just think it. You have to say it. Now, not even in Hebrew, it could be in English, but you have to say it. What's really interesting is that you have to mean what you say, but you don't have to say what you mean, which I'll explain right now. Um... You have to mean what you say means that there's a rule that piv valibo have to be shavim, that your mouth and your mind have to be in alignment. So that means, for example, I know a lot of people who come to Israel, they get mixed up. Yom Rishon is, of course, the day after Shabbos, the 
first day of the week, which is Sunday. But a lot of times people are work, used to the first day of the work week in America being Monday. So they get, sometimes you get mixed up when you say Yom Rishon, you equate in your head to being a Monday. This happens. So let's say, for example, I want to say that my bed is forbidden to me on Mondays. But I say my bed is forbidden to me on Yom Rishon. So since what came out of my mouth is not in alignment with what I meant in my mind, so the nether is simply not binding. Neither what I meant nor what I said binds me, right? So meaning what I mean is that I, even though I said Yom Rishon, it's not forbidden on Yom Rishon. Even though I meant Monday, it's not forbidden to you on Monday. It has to be for a binding nether to occur. They have to piv v'lipo shavin, meaning um, yeah, you have to mean what you say. If you said something you didn't, but that's not what you meant, then it wouldn't be binding. On the other hand, um, interestingly, you could, I said it cutely before, I'll say it cutely again, you don't necessarily need to say what you mean, because if it's understood what you mean, even though you didn't say it explicitly, it is still binding. So the rule is that the nadarim have to be in what's called lashem b'nei adam, everything goes halach achar lashem b'nei adam, everything goes based after what's common usage, common parlance, what's the normal connotation of that word in that society. So if it's understood by an independent, if a normal person will understand what I mean, even though I didn't say it fully or explicitly, what, how people use that word, that becomes, um, and that's what I meant, so then it is binding. So that introduces the notion of kinuyim and yadus. So a kinui is like a, like a nickname, a substitute word. Okay? So, um, you know, in, in England, there's a, instead of an umbrella, people call it a brawly. Okay, sometimes an umbrella is a brawly. It's like a slang word. I mean, I can think of a thousand things like that. So, um, if I say my brawly is forbidden to me, like a korban, so it is because everyone knows that a brawly in whatever in northern England refers to an umbrella, even though it doesn't appear anywhere in the dictionary. So it's a slang word, but everyone knows what it means um, in that place, and therefore it'd be binding because because I said it. I meant to be go after what's lashem and adam, what's normal. The connotation that word broadly refers to umbrellas, and therefore would be binding. Probably, if you said the same thing in Florida, it would not be binding because no one in the world in Florida has a clue what a brawly is. Okay, um, so that that's called kinuyim. Now, the classic textbook kinuy, which makes its way into Masechus Nadarim countless times, is that a nickname, a shorthand, if you will, for the word korban, an offering, is the word konam. I don't know why in England they call umbrellas brawlies, and I don't know why in the time of Chazal they called karbanos konamos. I don't know why, but they did. So the word konam refers to korban, an offering, and it's pretty plastic in its usage. You can refer to the, the you can use it almost as like a, as a verb, not just a noun. So you can say like, my, you could say konamalai, my pen, which means something like, offering upon me is my pen. Sacrifice upon me is my pen, or even the word offering sacrifice, konam is not even a word, it's like brawly, it's a slang for korban. But since the connotation of what I'm saying is clear, everyone who listens to it knows who in the time of the Mishnah would know exactly what I meant by that. So even though the syntax isn't exactly right, and the use of the actual words are not the classic words in the dictionary, still, since it's clear what I meant, and I, and I, when I said it, right, I meant what I said, I meant to prohibit that to me, so then it's binding. Okay, so that's called um, yadus. Yadus is not the the nickname word, but rather um, an 
an extension. Just, in other words, like if I say I say something which is even though the thought wasn't complete, but it was understood what the complete thought was based on context, based on normal usage. So then it's also binding. Yadus is like a hand or a handle. So just going back a second, those were shown on my tosos to learn that when we say my pen is forbidden to me, what I really mean is my pen is forbidden to me like a korban. So that too would be an example of yadus, because it's shorthand, it's just a half thought. My pen is forbidden to me. Implicit is like a korban. I didn't say those words, but everyone understood what I meant. Okay, so that's the idea of, of um, that's the, the, the gist of what's happening in terms of how this bitus of sign, this articulation works. Again, you need pivalibosheven, which means you have to mean what you say. If you said the wrong thing, that's not binding. But we allow for kinuyim and yadus, so you don't have to fully say what you mean if it's understood what you mean based on the connotation, based on common usage. So then it is binding. Um, now, Meseches Nadarim uh, spends a lot of time talking about what are the connotations of words, what is an effective kinuyim and yadus. Now, regrettably, we don't, the language we speak, even if we speak Hebrew, Lashna Kodesh, whatever, we don't speak with the same, we live in a, don't live in the society of the Mishnah, and therefore the connotations of these words um, are not really the same to us, and therefore a lot of times things are kind of lost in translation, irrecoverably lost in translation in Masech Zadarim, because it has to do with, you know, the nuances and connotations that was used in that society, which is kind of, we don't have that anymore. Okay, so Masech Zadarim, you sometimes have to try to get your head back into how they understood the meaning of words back then, even without a dictionary. Okay, so more on that later on. Now, we said that the Torah has these two mitzvahs, two of the 613 um, revolve around um, not violating one's nether and um, carrying out what one took a nether to do, so that's a lavan and asay. Um, and according to those who hold that we're talking about... Um, Whatever, at least that. Now, nevertheless, even though it involves two mitzvahs, it doesn't mean it's a good thing to do, the right thing to do, to make nadarm in the first place. Um, to the contrary, it's kind of like um, like uh, giving a get to your wife. So yeah, it's a mitzvah to give a get to your wife. It doesn't mean you should do it. Just if you're going to do it, if you're going to get divorced, then there are rules that govern it based on the mitzvahs of getin. So so when it comes to nadarm, Chazal basically frowned on people making Nadarm. Um, they said that you're making a, a, a neder. It's it's unnecessary. It's almost as if, like, you know, who needs you? As the Yushalmi says, you didn't have, like, Lo dayacha b'masha amra Torah, elishata osar alecha devar macherim. It wasn't enough. Hashem said, I gave you 613 commandments, I gave you 365 lavin. That's not enough. You need to have more. You have to make a 366th one to make also your pen usher to you. Um, so that seems to be, like, sort of. That's Chazal's notion. It's no good. And actually, there's a Gemara in the Bavli which says that Hanoder, if one makes a neder, it's Kilu Bana Bama. It's as if he built a Bama. A Bama is like a, an altar outside of the base of Mikdash, which is, of course, a no no. One can't do that um, anymore. And one who does as he said and fulfills his neder, it's as if he brought an offering on that Bama, which um, it also is, is, is not a good thing. So the point here is that, as Kohela says, Tova Sidor, it's better you don't make any net at all, Mishet Tidor Velot Shalom, rather than make Nadar, which you may not be able to 
you know, fulfill. So therefore, we don't make nedarim. It's not the right thing to do. A person should avoid it. Um, that's the general rule. But if one did make a nedar, he has to carry out what he said. Um, there is an important exception here, which is Chazal understands certain times that a person is um, well served to make a nedar because without that nedar, he simply wouldn't um, wouldn't survive his test. So the classic of that is nazirus, which is like a subset of, of nedar, also a whole to itself. Next step to nedarim, Bez Hashem. So the thought there is like if a person says, "Listen, I, I'm I, I can't, I keep on falling into the trap of drinking wine. If I don't bind my hands with a neder, I'm going to keep on doing it again and again." So the person sort of saves himself by making a neder. So that actually is considered to be, you know, that that is it is the proper usage of nedarim, um, and sort of it's like sort of like a nuclear option, um, but sometimes it's the it's the necessary option to do. So I'll just in case you're asking. That seems strange to you on a psychological level. I will explain to you my answer to your implicit question, which is this. A person's on a diet. He says, I really have to stop eating ice cream late at night. I keep on eating ice cream and my cholesterol is no good and I'm putting all this weight on. So even though a person says that, every third night he finds himself back in the, fr- in the refrigerator looking at the, you know, at the freezer, looking for ice cream and gobbling it down. So that's not good. Even though he doesn't want to eat it and he means what he says, he intends not to eat it, but sometimes he keeps on falling into the trap. Now, I bet you that same guy, if he's nice from from Jew, he never is eating his ice cream on the nights that he had, you know, steak for dinner, because he can't have milk after meat, of course. So he just never does, because when's the last time all of us are on diet? We all have broken our diet, but when's the last time, Chas Shalom, you ended up eating ice cream after you had meat for dinner? No, you don't do that, because it's usher. Once it's usher, it's like, you know, you don't cross that line. So the, that's why a person might employ a neder, to protect himself, he really wants to like be on diet, if you will, and Torah didn't really want you to take Nadarim to bind yourself to being on diet. But um, if you're talking about the you know extreme situation and needs to you need to put down extreme guidelines and extreme protections, so as the mission Avo says, Nadarim Siagla Precious, that a naked neder makes an extra protective fence to ensure you stick away from certain things. If the, if you need that nuclear option and you know to cross that line because the alternative is even worse, so that will be the place. When a dorm and halacha are applicable and, and would be uh, acceptable, um, but those are rare places. Okay, so in general, the rule is please don't make it in the dorm. Um, it's not, not the right thing to do. Okay, now um, that's the topic of our masechta, and really that covers the first eight prakim. Um, the last three prakim, nine, ten, and eleven, deal with the topic of undoing. Nadarim. So a nadar can be done undone in one of two ways, either through what's called hatara or hafara. Hatara, like to be matir, to untie something. Hatara's Nadarm, that's the topic of chapter 9, the ninth parak, the ninth parak of Nadarm, is um, the annulment, the undoing of a nether. And that can be done in one of two ways. It's done either through a mumra, a single nether expert, halachic expert of Nadarm, or through a bezdin of Three hediotos, three regular Jews, any three get together, they can function, even if they're not really experts in the lachos of Nadarm, but they can function to undo Nadarm. This, on some level, kind of is what's happening on Erev Roshana when you get your group of three guys and do your Hatars Nadarm. That's kind of what's happening over there, more or less. Um, now, Hatara means that you are retroactively undoing a neder. That means as if it never was, annulment retroactive, lima freya. So that can happen in one of two ways. It can happen either through a mechanism called charata or a mechanism called pesach. Now, charata means regret. Um, 
And the way that that works is essentially is you blurted out some nether, but actually never meant it. You never meant it. You just were furious at the time. So you started screaming stupid words that you never meant. And you regret saying it afterwards as soon as you calm down. So since you, the idea is the, the mumcha or the bezin would say it since you never meant it all along. So we'll say it's, it's if it never happened. We'll undo it. Okay? Through Hatara. The bezin of three has the power to be matter, the nether or the mumcha by himself. Pesach is something else. Pesach is, um, you find like a hole, that's what Pesach means, where you say, listen, the person, when he made the nether, he didn't consider the full scope of his commitment. Um, and if he would have, he would have never taken on the nether, so therefore the nether also wasn't binding from, from back then. So, for example, a person says, and it takes a nether, he says, you know, all food is forbidden to me before I daven in the morning. That would be a nether. He restricts all food to him. So after he davens. I mean, that would be binding. Now, this guy sticks to his, his nether for the next 20 years. But at the age of 85, he realizes if he doesn't drink some hot tea before he goes to shul, he just can't make it out. He can't speak. His voice is not good, whatever the story is. So he, he says, listen, I'm stuck now. If I don't drink tea before I go to davening, I just won't be able to daven. So he'll have a Pesach. He'll, his Pesach will be, listen, when I made my nether 20-whatever years ago, I never realized at the age of 80-whatever... I wouldn't be able to daven without drinking tea. If I'd have known that, I'd have never made the nether in the first place or I'd have, you know, made a different nether. So, that being the case, the mumcha or the bezin of three would say there'd be matir his nether, they would undo his nether retroactively and say it's as if he never took the nether at all. He'd be unbound by it, okay? The other way which the darn can be undone is through hafara. To be mayfair a nether is to cancel it. But the hafara is not retroactive. It's only mekanul haba. It's only from this point forward. So the hafara happens um, really only in the context of, of um, a girl who's a nara or younger, so 12 and a half or younger. When her father hears about her, her neder, he's able to be made for the neder. He can say, nope, I'm not letting that happen to my house. Nothing doing. And he can cancel it from then going forward. If the girl is married, or even if a woman is married, so on the day her husband hears about her neder under certain circumstances, not quite all nadarim, the truth is, but many nadarim, the father can um, be Mayfair, can cancel, and he's with his rights to do it on the day he hears about it. But the hafara, whether done by the father or by the husband, or in the event you're talking about a, a nara murasa, let's say a girl who's um, more than 12, like, you know, whatever, 12 something years old, and she's also already murasa, she's already married to another man through Arison. Both of them need to do hafara. Whatever the case is, it's only mekanul haba, only from that moment forward. But the neder which she made previously was taka indeed binding on her um, until they cancel it. The difference being, for example, if she took the neder not to drink coffee before she davens, but she actually did. If a person is um, violates a neder and does a bemazed, the penalty is malchus, like we said, and lashes. So she's on the hook for lashes, whereas if a person does hataras nadarim, once the bezin is mat the nether, they retroactively under the nether, and at that point, since it never was a binding commitment in the first place, so the fact that they ate is now no longer an issue, and they wouldn't be subject to malchus anymore. Okay, so that's our introduction, and that's those, the topic of hafara of the last two chapters of Masechus Darm, chapters 12, excuse me, 10 and 11, and... Um, with that, I think we're ready to start the Masech in earnest. So, Bez Hashem, we begin now. Masechus Nadarim, Barak Aleph, Mishnah Aleph.